0: This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 1993, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1993. We also look at the case for putting Government Mule into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Songwriters Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1993. In music, it was the year that music genres, alternative rock, grunge, and hip-hop began to completely shift the musical landscape. On January 8th, the United States Postal Service put out the Elvis Presley postage stamps, which became a huge hit. Michael Jackson performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl and then was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on television a couple of weeks later. The interview became a ratings blockbuster at the time. Soon thereafter, in late August though, Michael Jackson was accused for the first time of child molestation. The scandal consumed Jackson's career until his passing and even afterwards. Meanwhile, Prince changed his name to a symbol during a dispute with his record label, Warner Brothers. Among the landmark albums that were huge in 1993 were Nirvana's In Utero, Pearl Jam's versus The Wu-Tang Clans Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, The Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, Counting Crows, August and Everything After, Cheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club, Suede's self-titled album, Blur's Modern Life is Rubbish, A Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, and Liz Phair's classic Exile in Guyville. Other big albums that made their mainstream run in 1993 were The Spin Doctor's Pocket Full of Kryptonite, Pearl Jam's 10, Aerosmith's Get a Grip, U2's Europa, Mariah Carey's Music Box, Janet Jackson's Janet, Stone Temple Pilots' Core, Garth Brooks' The Chase, Eric Clapton Unplugged, Kenny G's Breathless, Billy Ray Cyrus's Some Gave All, and Dr. Dre's classic The Chronic. On the pop charts, R&B dominated the year, with the vast majority of the top 50 songs being done by R&B artists such as Janet Jackson, SWV, Jodeci, and Shanice. The biggest selling single, according to Billboard magazine, was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, followed by Tag Team's "W't There It Is, UB40's version of the Elvis Presley's classic "Can't Help Falling in Love," Janet Jackson's "That's the Way Love Goes," Silk's "Freak Me," SWV's "Weak," Shy's "If I Ever Fall in Love," Mariah Carey's "Dream Lover," Rex and Effects' "Rump Shaker," and Snow's "Informer." In country music, it was the year of Garth Brooks as he completely dominated country music and also continued his mainstream crossover success. His album The Chase became a huge blockbuster in 1993, while his 1990 album No Fences continued to have huge sales numbers. The Eagles tribute album Common Thread led to hell freezing over and getting the Eagles back together. Other big country albums were by Vince Gill, who would eventually join the Eagles in the 2020s, Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Billy Ray Cyrus, Reba McIntyre, Dwight Yoakam, along with a Jimmy Rogers tribute album and a compilation album called Pure Country. Singles wise, it was the year that Miley Cyrus's dad Billy Ray Cyrus became a big star as his song Achy Breaky Heart became huge along with its country line dance the Achy Breaky. Other big singles were put out by Alan Jackson, Vince Gill, Tracy Lawrence, Lori Morgan, John Michael Montgomery, Travis Tritt, Mary Chapin Carpenter, and Sammy Kershaw. In hip-hop, while New York rappers Tribe Called Quest and the Wu-Tang Clan made their mark, plus Jersey's own Naughty By Nature's party anthem Hip-Hop Hooray, the scene shifted westside to California as dr dre's late 1992 release the chronic that became huge in 1993 along with snoop dog's mid-november 1993 release doggy style both exploded onto the hip-hop scene along with cypress hills insane in the brain and ice cube and DOS effects check yourself canadian rapper snow had the hit in former paperboy's song diddy became a big hit willie max and rafael sadig had can't get enough and rex and fx had their party anthem rump shaker all i want to do is zoom 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 in a boom boom you could actually say that 1993 was the year of the anthem while hip-hop had its party anthems that are still big to this day Dance music also had its club anthems that everybody knows and loves. For instance, Tag Team's Woomp There It Is and Robin S's Show Me Love are still played in the clubs, sporting events, and music festivals and DJ sets worldwide. Meanwhile, Eurodance made its presence felt with club anthems like Snap's Rhythm is a Dancer and Hathaway's iconic song that makes you shake your head to the left, What is Love? There were of course the usual pop R&B and hip hop crossover artists who had popular dance remixes including Ace of Base, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, Snow, Paperboy and strangely enough John Bon Jovi whose rock ballad Bed of Roses was turned into a chart-topping dance remix. Go figure. Broadway and film musicals in 1993 included Annie Warbucks, Chaplin, The Fields of Ambrosia, First Lady Sweet, Grand Slam Ulysses, The Goodbye Girl, A Grand Night for Singing, The Great Big Radio Show, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, Heimchans Chan's Ribbon, Honk, The House of Martin Guerrero, The Iron Man, The Musical by Pete Townsend, Johnny Pie and the Fool Killer, Leonardo, The Musical, A Portrait of Love. Pride and Prejudice, The Red Shoes, Rigoletto, Success, Sunset Boulevard, The Who's Tommy, and whoop de doo In Latin music, the big artists were Selena, Luis Miguel, Fruco y sus tesos, Juan Luis Guerrera, E440, Elvis Crespo, Olga Tanon, Carlos Vives, and Albita. Bands that formed in 1993 included 112, All Saints, The Crystal Method, Daft Punk, The Backstreet Boys, Ben Folds 5, The Donnas, Boys Zone, Garbage, Diggers, Jurassic 5, Jars of Clay, Jimmy Eat World, Corn, Modest Mouse, Papa Roach, The Presidents of the United States, Savage Garden, Sister Hazel, Supergrass, Tag Team, Third Eye Blind, Tonic, Wilco, and everybody's favorite holiday season band, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Bands who either broke up before their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus in 1993 included Another Bad Creation, The Dan Reed Network, Echo and the Bunny Men, Eric B and Rakim, Exodus, Faster Pussycat, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, Men Without Hats, New Order, The Pixies, Striper, The Thompson Twins, Television, Triumph, and Simon and Garfunkel in yet another one of their many breakups. Bands that got back together in 1993 included Big Star, Steely Dan, and The Seekers. Artists who were born in 1993 included Zayn Malik, Niall Horan, and Liam Payne, all of One Direction, Megan Trainor, Sugar of BTS, Chance the Rapper, Perry Edwards of Little Mix, D O of EXO, Tanash Saweetie. Allie Brooke of Fifth Harmony, DJ Vintage Culture, EDM Artist Alice Ivy, Singer-Songwriters Ariana Grande, Caliuchis, Uchis, Taylor Momsen, Kiki Palmer, Bryson Tiller, IU, and Tones and I, Singers and Actresses Miranda Cosgrove, Naomi Scott, Victoria Justice, Rachel Trachtenberg, Singer and Daughter of Former President Donald Trump, Tiffany Trump, Grime Rapper Stormzy, and Rapper Shy Girl. Artists who passed away in 1993 included punk rock singer Gigi Allen, Ray Gillen of Black Sabbath, Michael Clark of The Birds, country music superstar Conway Twitty, Frank Zappa of Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, opera great Marian Anderson, jazz great Dizzy Gillespie, Mick Ronson, Sun Ra, Toy Caldwell of the Marshall Tucker Band, Hector Laveau, singer and actor River Phoenix, Blues guitarist Albert Collins and John Campbell, and songwriter Sammy Kahn. In awards for the music of 1993, at the Grammy Awards, it was the year of the soundtracks, as the Bodyguard soundtrack, which was also the year's biggest album of 1993, won album of the year, while Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You won record of the year. A Whole New World from Disney's Aladdin won song of the year. And Tony Braxton won Best New Artist. At the American Music Awards, Whitney Houston was the big winner of the night, taking seven of the eight categories that she was up for. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Pearl Jam's Jeremy won Video of the Year. At the Billboard Music Awards, Garth Brooks was named Artist of the Year. Whitney Houston won Entertainer of the Year at the Soul Train Music Awards. Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre, and Aerosmith won the Music Categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held in Ireland, Ireland actually won on home turf for the song In Your Eyes. Vince Gill won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards and Garth Brooks won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Stereo MCs won Best British Album for Connected and Take That won Best Song for Prey at the Brit Awards. Neil Young won Best Album for Harvest Moon, while The Rankin Family won Best Song for Fare Thee Well Love at the Juno Awards. The Cruel Sea won Album of the Year for The Honeymoon Is Over, and they also won Song of the Year for The Honeymoon Is Over at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Kiss of the Spider Woman won Best Musical, and Anna Christie won Best Revival of a Musical. Musically at the Academy Awards, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen won Best Song for Streets of Philadelphia from the movie Philadelphia, and John Williams won Best Film Score for Schindler's List. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to Christopher Rouse for Trombone Concerto, Leon Kirchner for Music for Cello and Orchestra, and Joan Tower for Violin Concerto. Suede won the Mercury Music Prize for their self-titled album. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on January 12, 1993 at the Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles, California. At the ceremony, the hall inducted record producer Milton Gabler and American Bandstand TV host and businessman Dick Clark into the Non-Performers category. Dinah Washington was inducted into the Early Influencers category. And in the performers category, The Hall inducted Ruth Brown, The Doors, Sly and the Family Stone, Etta James, Van Morrison, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, and this next group. the group cream was the first rock supergroup and one of the most brilliant groups of the late 1960s with four albums that lit the rock world on fire as brilliant and talented as they were though they were also one of the most volatile the volatility eventually drove them apart and it would take decades before they would play together again the group was a byproduct of other very successful groups from the 1960s Eric Clapton was at that time already considered one of the greatest blues guitarists of all time, or, as a famous wall graffiti said, Clapton is God. He had played in the Yardbirds and was just leaving John Mayle and the Bluesbreakers. Drummer Ginger Baker was leaving the Graham Bond organization, and bassist Jack Bruce had left the Grand Bond organization rather unceremoniously, which we will discuss in about thirty seconds. One night after watching Clapton performing with John Mayle, Baker gave Clapton a ride back to Clapton's home in London, England. During the ride, Baker mentioned that he was starting a new band and wanted Clapton to join him. Eric said yes, but only if Jack Bruce would join and play bass. Baker, according to Clapton, almost crashed the car when he mentioned Bruce. See, Clapton and Bruce originally met when they were in the Blues Breakers, then in a side project band with Steve Winwood of Traffic and Paul Jones of Manford Mann called Powerhouse. From Eric's standpoint, Jack was good people. Ginger and Jack though, eh, not so kosher. Actually to say that Ginger and Jack didn't get along is a supreme understatement. For instance, while they were in the Graham Bond organization, they would break each other's instruments. Things got so bad that they had fights while on stage performing. Ginger had Jack fired from Graham Bond, but Jack still showed up at the gigs like he was still in the band, at least until one night when Ginger pulled out a knife and threatened Jack with it. Ginger really wanted Eric in a band, and Eric really wanted Jack in a band, so Ginger and Jack agreed to at least try to get along and make this band work, much like how parents try to stay together for the sake of the children, I guess. The band considered going by the name Sweet and Sour Rock and Roll, then The Cream, before finally going by Cream. It was decided that Jack would actually be the one taking lead singing duties since Eric was pretty shy about singing at that point. The trio performed together on July 29, 1966. Since they didn't have a lot of original songs worked up, they put their own spin on blues classics. In the early days, for one night, they became a quartet when a fan of Clapton's, who had just started to make a name for himself in London, sat in with the guys. That man was Jimi Hendrix. Cream's first album was Fresh Cream and was released late in 1966. The album performed okay on the charts, going to number six in Great Britain and number 39 in America. The writing duties were split pretty much between the three of them. When they came to America to play some gigs, it wasn't really a big deal as people still didn't know exactly who they were as a group. At the time, Clapton was only well known to other musicians in America. He wasn't a household name yet as he had left the Yardbirds before that band made it big in America. When Cream first played, they were in the middle of lineups at music festivals and sometimes they only got to play one song and then had to leave. Still. It didn't stop them from coming back to America to record their next album Disraeli Gears. That album was recorded in five days in May of 1967 in New York City and was released in November 1967. The album had the cream classic Sunshine of Your Love and Tales of Brave Ulysses. It also showed the range of the band as they combined psychedelic and blues rock. Right after they finished recording the album, they played in San Francisco and Los Angeles. At that point, they started to make a name for themselves with legendary shows where they played some songs for 20 minutes each. By the time their third album, the double album Wheels of Fire, came out in 1968, they were kings, with wheels going to number one in America on the strength of songs like White Room. The problem was that by then, the band had gotten pretty sick and tired of touring and doing extended jam sessions on stage. And of course, the tension between Bruce and Baker became a problem again. Clapton always had to be the middleman, but even he was getting sick and tired of dealing with it all. According to legend... Clapton decided he was through with cream after Rolling Stone magazine reviewer and also future Bruce Springsteen producer John Landau gave the band and Clapton especially a really bad review, calling Clapton, quote, the king of the blues cliché, end quote. The band announced that they were done in 1968. However, they were talked into doing one final album, called Goodbye, appropriately. It was recorded towards the end of 1968 and was released in early 1969. The song Badge was on that album. What has been forgotten throughout the decades is that by the time Goodbye came out, Cream had already left. They played a final tour, played two concerts in London that were recorded, and in late 1968 called it quits, months before their album actually came out. Baker and Clapton then got Steve Winwood to join them in making another supergroup called Blind Faith. Clapton then went on to Delaney and Bonnie, Derek and the Dominoes, until having an extremely successful solo career. Ginger Baker, meanwhile, went on to form Ginger Baker's Air Force, while Bruce went on to have a so-so middle-of-the-road solo career. 25 years after they broke up, they got back together and performed when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Based on that performance, they decided to do some limited concerts together, but due to other projects, the trio didn't actually do a reunion tour until 2005 with mixed results. There was talk around 2007 about doing another concert, but it never happened. Of course, now there's zero chance of a reunion as Jack Bruce passed away in 2014, Ginger Baker passed away in 2019, and Clapton announced that due to bad health with his muscle control, he cannot perform that much anymore anyway. Presented for induction by 2004 rock and roll inductees ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, and Jack Bruce, the rock supergroup Cream, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 1993. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast, where we go over the events, music releases, births, and passings for that day in music history, The Music History Today podcast drops each and every day, including on the weekends on this channel, the Music History Today Network, and also on our Music History Today Network YouTube page. Now, back to the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we're going to look at government mules' chances of being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To the tail of the tape we go. Government Mule has had 23 albums, EPs, and live albums. Of those, six have hit the top 40. They've never really been a singles band. In fact, they're known for being one of the best jam bands around. With their mix of southern rock, blues rock, hard rock, and jam band rock. Government Mule have been and continue to be critical darlings, with a legion of fans that are as loyal as the Grateful Dead's Deadheads or even Fish's Fishheads. They're a favorite of many respected musicians, including the Allman Brothers Band, the Black Crows, Robbie Krieger of the Doors, Parliament Funkadelic, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, yes, and tons and tons more. That last fact is really the only reason why I'm looking at their chances of being inducted. Because while they may not have the commercial success that other acts have had, they do have massive music industry and critical following and respect that might actually get them over the hump. Plus, they usually end up being on all of those lists about artists who have been snubbed for inclusion into the hall. So what will happen this year well probably the same thing that always happens they'll probably get snubbed again but will it happen eventually i suspect that maybe in the next 10 years or so the hall might actually look at them as being very influential especially to the jam band genre but until then unfortunately they're probably not going to give them the respect that they deserve The Songwriters Hall of Fame was started in 1969 by Johnny Mercer and publishers Abe Oldman and Howie Richmond as a way to honor some of the most forgotten and disrespected people of the music industry, the songwriters. After all, you can't have a song without a songwriter. The hall has an impressive group running it, including Chairman Nile Rogers and other greats such as Neo, Desmond Child, Samantha Cox, Patrice Russian, and Paul Williams. In order to be eligible for induction, according to their website, quote, "...a songwriter with a notable catalog of songs qualifies for induction 20 years after the first commercial release of a song." The Hall also runs programs with music schools and universities and also has scholarship programs available. Since 2010, the Hall of Fame exhibit has been part of the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, California. Its hours of operation are Sunday to Thursday from 10.30 to 6.30, Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., and closed on Tuesdays. However, check with the Grammy Museum's website for updated hours and pricing as their time shift with each season, it would seem. There were plans at one time to construct a physical hall in the basement of the famous Brill Building in New York City, where a lot of songwriters got their start, but there hasn't been word on the progress of that lately. Songhall.org is the Songwriters Hall of Fame website, although you should also check the Grammy Museum's website for updated hours of operation and ticket pricing, and grammymuseum.org is their website. And yes, both websites are in the show notes. Super producer and songwriter David Foster was born November 1st, 1949 in Victoria, British Columbia. As a teenager, he was in one of Chuck Berry's backup bands, actually. But then he moved to England for a little while and then came back to Canada and moved to Toronto. In the 1970s, he was a keyboardist for the band Skylark. Then he found his true calling as both a producer and a songwriter. One of the first songs that he has co-writing credit on is 1978's Alice Cooper song, From the Inside. He also co-wrote the 1978 R&B classic, Got to Be Real, by Cheryl Lynn. 1979 saw him co-write Michael Jackson's song, It's the Falling in Love, off of Michael's Off the Wall album. That was also the year that he co-wrote a lot of songs with Earth, Wind, and Fire. First, the songs After Love Is Gone and In the Stone for their 1979 album, I Am, and then the song And Love Goes On from their 1980 album, Faces. He also co-wrote a couple of songs for Denise Williams that year. 1982 saw David co-write most of the songs for Chicago's hit album Chicago 16, including Hard to Say I'm Sorry and Love Me Tomorrow, both of those huge top 10 hits. He also co-wrote with Chicago again for Chicago 17, co-writing their hits Stay the Night and You're the Inspiration. He also worked with Chicago again and co-wrote their hit Will You Still Love Me for Chicago 18 and the hit song Glory of Love for ex-Chicago lead singer Peter Cetera. In 1983, he produced albums for The Tubes. He also co-wrote their big hits Talk to You Later and She's a Beauty. Then he worked on Boz Skaggs' hit album Middleman and co-wrote some of the Boz's biggest hits like JoJo. David's also done co-writing and producing work for a few hit albums and soundtracks, including Boz Skagg's song, Look What You've Done To Me, for John Travolta's movie, Urban Cowboy, Night Rangers, The Secret of My Success, from the Michael J. Fox movie of the same name, John Parr's song, St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion, from the movie of the same name, St. Elmo's Fire, And the hit song, I Have Nothing, for Whitney Houston's Blockbuster's Bodyguard soundtrack. If you were an adult contemporary artist in the 1980s and 90s, then you probably worked in one way or another with David Foster. Along with writing with Chicago, Boz Skaggs, John Parr, Michael Jackson, Alice Cooper, Cheryl Lynn, Earth, Wind & Fire, Night Ranger, and Whitney Houston, he's also either produced or co-written songs for, among many others, Celine Dion, Natalie Cole, Donna Summer, Mary J. Blige, Rod Stewart, Andrea Bocelli, Mariah Carey, Vanessa Williams, Barbara Streisand, Josh Groban, Bette Midler, Air Supply, Madonna, and Lionel Richie. Among countless others he's been nominated for 47 Grammy Awards winning 16 of them he also has a foundation called the David Foster Foundation which helps kids who need medical transplants producer arranger verve records chairman from 2012 to 2016 actually and most importantly for this discussion songwriter David Foster inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2010. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.